Good morning, everyone. I'm John Gwynn. I'm one of the elders, and I am excited to share with you this morning from 2 Timothy. Famous last words. We've all heard that expression. But what is so special about the last thing that someone speaks? You know, my dad at the end of his life spoke words to me. He was um, dying of congestive heart failure. And I remember it, even though it was 20 years ago, like it was yesterday. He cared and loved my mom so much that he, all he cared about in the end was wanting to make sure that she was okay. So I can remember he grabbed my hand and he looked at me and he said, John, take care of your mother. And like I said, that was 20 years ago. And those words still resonate, even though my mom's not even here anymore. Those words still resonate with me because I knew that my dad was thinking of the most important thing that he said that he could say to me because he knew it was at the end of his life. How many of us have had that happen where we've had someone that was passing, someone that knew that they were at the end of their life and they've spoken words to us? Maybe they were words of encouragement. Maybe they're words that lift you up when you think about them. Maybe they're words of anger because the relationship wasn't good. Maybe there's no words at all because they couldn't speak or you couldn't be there for whatever reason at the end. Either way, the last words of someone's lives can mean so much to us. So, whatever the circumstances, there's nothing more important than this. Those last words that are spoken. And that is exactly what we're getting from Paul in 2 Timothy. His final words spoken to Timothy, who was like a beloved son to him. So he that he valued what he said so much. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4, 6. He knew his time was coming. Paul was in prison, and he knew he didn't have a lot of time left. It says, the time of my departure has come. That was in 2 Timothy 4, 6. Those final words spoken were so impactful. Timothy really was like a son um, to Paul. Timothy traveled with Paul. He was by his side watching Paul minister for years. So when Paul penned this letter, he was really doing it out of love and compassion and out of desperation because he knew he didn't have a lot of time left. He didn't have a lot of things else that he could say. This was it. This was the thing that he could do. Paul had already run the race. He was at the end of the race. Timothy was really 
just starting that race. It says in 2 Timothy 7, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, when someone has gone before and they've already finished the race, they've already run the path, they know the little tricks of that path, they've done, been there, done that, as they say. We need to listen intently to those people who have gone before. Learn from those who have gone before you. So many times in our society, in our, in our culture, we reinvent the wheel and don't consider those that have gone before us. You know, we'll look at a situation we'll be in and we'll be like, wow, this has never happened before. Yeah, it kind of has happened before. You just haven't talked to those that have gone before you. All throughout Scripture, there's examples of older men speaking into the lives of younger men. It was really a part of the culture that I think is really missing in our society today. Deuteronomy says this, you shall teach them to their children, them being the teachings passed down through the generations, the word being spoken, talking to them when they are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's this real sense of just constantly sharing, passing on the things that you learned from your dad and bringing them on to the next generation. Our culture values youth and that's fine, but it can tend to devalue older people. And I think that's a shame. And you can say to me, John, but my grandmother doesn't understand TikTok. How could she have anything good to say? <laughs> well, let me just encourage you in that. Don't miss out on the opportunities of those that have gone before you, like Paul had here with Timothy. Don't miss out on those opportunities to be able to glean life experiences from those that have gone before you. And I would say to you, if you're an older person, don't miss out on opportunities to speak into the lives of those that are newer in the path. Those opportunities that you can have to share the things that you've gone through with those that are coming behind. So my question is this morning, are you speaking into the lives of those who are younger than you? Are you learning from those who have gone before you? That idea, and Josh has shared this before, and it really resonates with me, that whole idea of intergenerational church, where, new, where younger people are learning from older people, where older people are sharing their experiences with those that are younger. 
I really want to encourage everybody in that because I know it's a cultural mindset that we have sometimes to just kind of be in our social circles of those that are of similar age to us. So I want to encourage you to go beyond that. So here's Paul. He's at the end of his life, and this is his opportunity. So what is he sharing with Timothy? What is he saying to him? Well, he says in verse 2, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, um, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, what does it mean here when we think of preaching the word? This is not just about being up here on stage and preaching the gospel. Each one of us, as believers, should be preaching the word to those around us, should be sharing God's word with them. The different ways that Paul talks about here, um, to reprove, which means to correct, giving advice, giving wisdom in decision-making, when you're seeing somebody and it looks like, how are they making that decision? Well, it's really easy to do that in a way that doesn't come across well, is not easy to hear. But Paul says to do all of these things with complete patience. He doesn't just say patience. He says complete patience. So when we speak, we need to have patience for those around us. When we rebuke, that giving that wisdom um, to those around us, we need to have that same sense, not to do it harshly, but to do it with love and to encourage. So Paul says all three of these things, speaking encouragement into people's lives. Sometimes that can even mean just listening. So what are the opportunities that we have? Like I said, it's not just about speaking from up front. It could be a friend that you have relationship with. It can be even a coworker. It can also be a classmate if you're in school. Don't miss those opportunities to be able to speak into people's lives. God truly desires to minister to others, but he uses us as his hands and as his feet and as we can speak those words if we're listening to what God wants to say. So speak and preach the truth with complete patience. Why do we need patience? Why is it that we need this? Paul tells us to have complete patience. He also says that a time is coming where these things will happen. This is in, from verse 3 and 4. He says, you know, we're living in an age where you're going to be challenged. Your people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will do things to suit their own desires. Does this sound familiar to anybody? in our culture today. They're going to seek teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear, and they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Sounds like an opportunity for patience, doesn't it? 
And that's really where we're at in our culture. It's really where we're at sometimes in the church. Sometimes we can see people in the church. Um, I think sometimes Christians embarrass him more than almost anybody does. You know, when you think about some of the things that are said, some of the things that people do, you need to have patience. If we want to be relevant in our generation, and I think the church, uh, you know, across the world is struggling right now with being relevant. It's struggling right now with um, being able to speak the truth into the culture, but at the same time to do it with love and to do it with patience and being careful with our words. And that's what God is calling us to. That's what Paul is telling Peter here. He doesn't say to him not to rebuke. He doesn't say to him not to speak the truth, but he definitely tells him to do it with patience, to do it with great patience. And that's what we're called to, to have that uh, careful instruction is what the NIV uses at the end of that, which I think is a good, a good wording for that section. Careful instruction, being careful about the things that we say. <clears throat> so Paul also says to preach the word in season and out of season. You know, when we think about in season and out of season, um, it's easy to think of uh, sports, you know, to think of, a, of professional athletes. You know, when Tom Brady was, was playing, he, on the off-season, was just as disciplined. He wasn't going out and, you know, eating donuts and hamburgers, and he was disciplined to actually prepare and be ready on, in the off-season as much as he was during the regular season. And that's what we're called to, whether, you, whether you're in a season in your life right now where you think God is using you, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. God is going to use you. It's just a question of being ready and being prepared and being open when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Paul also refers to his life as being a drink offering in this scripture. Now, a drink offering was something that was done in the Old Testament, you can read through, and it was actually an offering poured on top of another offering. It was wine poured on top of another offering. Paul even refers to it here. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. So this idea of a drink offering is interesting, I think, because it's a sacrifice on top of another sacrifice, isn't it? It's being poured out on top. And I think Paul saw that in his life. He saw the sacrifice that Jesus had done for him on the cross. And in response to that sacrifice, he poured his life out as well as a sacrifice. And that's what he's encouraging Timothy to do. So many times, you know, we can almost get to the point where we've heard the story of what Jesus did, and we don't have a reaction to it because we've heard it so many times. 
but Paul had the idea and the thought of what Christ did so embedded in his heart that he could do nothing but respond by sacrificing himself. Because Jesus sacrificed, Paul poured out his life as a sacrifice. So what is our response for what Jesus has done? Philippians says this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. So here Paul's referring to that same thing again. He's using that same illustration. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice offered of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with, all, with you all. So Paul was doing this out of joy. He was laying his life down out of joy. And I think that's what God has called us to as well. He's called us to preach the word, but to do it in a way where we can not hesitate to speak the truth, but that we can make sure that we're doing it in love, that we can make sure that we're doing it with patience, because that is what Christ has called us to. Paul also was confident in his salvation in this section of Scripture. So we see already he's already run the race. He doesn't have regrets. Who here has no regrets? When you consider this, it's, it's an amazing passage of Scripture. Paul has shown us what we need to do to finish the race strong and with confidence in the prize awaiting us. You know, how did Paul get here to this point at the end of his life where he could say that he knew that the prize was before him? He knew that he was going to see Christ, that he was going to heaven. He was confident in that. Paul said, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. So he knew where he was going, and he was confident in it. But how did Paul get to this point from a man who was on a mission early in his life to literally kill Christians to a man that further in his life was willing to die for that same cause? It says in Acts, Paul was referring to a situation where he was there during the stoning of Stephen. Let me read this scripture and I'll give you some background to it. It says in Acts 22, and when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So here's the scene. Paul, as I said, was determined. He was a Pharisee, and he was determined to stop Christianity. 
he was determined and willing to literally kill people to stop the message of the gospel. So he went out with his other uh, fellow Pharisees, and Stephen, who was preaching the gospel, did, was doing nothing wrong, was an innocent man. Paul stood by watching over everybody's cloaks so they could make sure that they had a good swinging arm to be able to literally stone somebody to death. That's a horrific way to die. And Paul stood there approving that happening. So how could this man have no regrets? How could he say with confidence that he had a crown waiting for him? Paul said this in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So here's Paul. At the end of his life, he knew this salvation wasn't coming from him. When Jesus died on the cross, he covered up those sins. He covered up him going around killing Christians. And when God looked at Paul, he saw Jesus. And that's how he could be confident. My question for you today is, are you confident in that? Or is that a struggle for you? Paul knew his salvation was based on Christ and what he did. Maybe you're a believer and you struggle with it. Because sometimes when we, we know in our heads, right, we know up here that our salvation is in Christ, but do we know it in here? Do we go around feeling guilt and not truly accepting that forgiveness that Christ has for us. Or maybe you're someone who hasn't accepted that gift. Maybe you're here today, and when I ask the question, are you confident at the end of your life that you're going to have that crown that, Christ was, that uh, Paul was confident in? Can you say that truly, that you know where you're going? Can you stand confidently before God, knowing that Christ died for you? We're going to have communion in just a minute. And as we start to prepare for that, I would like to encourage everyone to reflect on that to reflect on that idea of what Paul, what Paul did when he said that he was confident, that he was sure in the salvation that he had. So as the team comes up, let's take a minute 